You've got a new page called The Sermon and the Divine Service. If you want to go to page two of that, right in the middle, there's a quote from Apology Article 15. Tells us what was the situation, what did things look like at the time of the Reformation concerning the sermon in the divine service. Apology 15. Among our opponents, there is no catechization of the children at all, though even the canons give prescriptions about it. In our circles, the pastors and ministers of the churches are required to instruct and examine the youth publicly, a custom that produces very good results. Among our opponents, there are many regions where no sermons are preached during the whole year, except in Lent. But, the Lutherans say, the chief worship of God is the preaching of the gospel. When our opponents preach, they talk about human traditions, the worship of the saints, and similar trifles. This the people rightly despise and walk out on them after the reading of the gospel. A few of the better ones are now beginning to talk about good works, but they say nothing about the righteousness of faith, or about faith in Christ, or about comfort for the conscience. In their polemics, they even attack this most salutary part of the gospel. And our churches, on the other hand, all sermons deal with topics like these. Penitence, the fear of God, faith in Christ, the righteousness of faith, comfort for the conscience through faith, the exercise of faith, prayer, our assurance that it is efficacious and is heard, the cross, respect for rulers, and for all civil ordinances, the distinction between the kingdom of Christ, or the spiritual kingdom, and political affairs, marriage, the education and instruction of children, chastity, and all the works of love. From this description of the state of our churches, it is evident that we diligently maintain church discipline, pious ceremonies, and the good customs of the church. So, not only does it mention that the sermon often was not there uh, at all, uh, there was simply this uh, offering up of the Mass as a, a, a work that they did in order to secure forgiveness for the living dead kind of thing. Uh, and then when they did preach, and he says, yeah, they're starting to do it a little bit more, um, we find that uh, the topics that they preached on were not even the Christian topics. Karen? Well, I'm... It, the part that got me was they were preached in, in, in Latin. Is that what? Or no, maybe during the whole year, except in Lent. Never mind. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. I haven't woke up yet. I have, I... Apology 24 <laughs> goes on to say, in their sermons, they do not preach the gospel or console consciences or point out that sins are freely forgiven for Christ's sake. Instead, they discuss the worship of saints 
human satisfactions and human traditions with the claim that these justify men before God. Despite the obvious wickedness of some of this, they violently defend it. The preachers who want to look more learned take up philosophical questions, which neither they nor the people understand. (laughs) (laughs) The better ones teach the law and say nothing about the righteousness of faith. Mary? I heard part of an LCMS sermon uh, on KFUO on the way here this morning, and the entire time I had to change the station. The entire time the, the man was discussing how to divide up Halloween candy. And I am not kidding. He didn't. There was no word in there of any of the topics that you mentioned, just the candy. And so. So how do you divide it? Yeah, he had categories. He listed categories, and starting with freshness and sweet and sour. Oh, he was I mean, my head was going to explode. <laughs> well, Mary, you should have listened more so you could tell us. That's right. right. <laughs> this way we know how to divide it. Yeah, we'll have to join that church then. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so when we talk about the sermon... What at the top of this, a title that said the sermon in the divine service, or I could have put the sermon in the liturgy. Um, does this, is the sermon a part of the divine service? Is it a part of the liturgy? Often it appears as if it is not, as if we're kind of going along and there's a liturgy and we're worshiping and, and then we, we take time for, you know, it, it, it's kind of a 10 minute break in which the pastor does his thing, which, which, which may be a, a, a presentation, it may be an object lesson, it may be uh, his stories about his Christian life and what he did this week. Um, uh, when I was uh, studying to be a pastor, uh, chancel sermons were pretty uh, popular. Um You'd take about four or five youth and you'd uh, uh, write a little play for them and then they would come up front and at the point of the sermon then you would have them do this little play of sorts. I was brought into that um, and uh, remember doing... as, uh, as, As if the sermon really wasn't a <laughs> integral part of it. It was I, I, his stand-up thing, whatever he did. Well, I can almost hear Pastor thinking we didn't do that nonsense at Fort Wayne. Just didn't need to say that. <laughs> um, whether the sermon's part of the liturgy, I mean, Christ taught the people. That's what he did often. So, of course, it should be part of the liturgy if you're trying to do what the same things that Christ teaches you to do. The apostles did it too. They preached to the people, whether they're going to the Gentiles and preaching to them or whatever. So, absolutely. Well, if the if the service has a theme, like the theme of the day, 
the sermon series should be about the theme. And all th- all the theme is focused on what? Christ. <laughs> on the gospel. Well, didn't we just hear about how Philip spoke to the um, eunuch and told him about how who Christ was going through all the scriptures and linking them together? That's exactly what you're doing for us. Because we might be able to hear the readings, but we don't necessarily understand how they relate. It's said that the Reformation... Uh, restored preaching to the church, which is historically pretty well true. Um, uh, Luther didn't make up preaching. It didn't originate with him or with the uh, Lutheran reformers. Nevertheless, they came into a situation, as I just described. In 1523, Luther wrote, uh, and and this is just a a good example of that, in which he says, okay, um, how are we going to fix this? The service, now in common use everywhere, goes back to genuine Christian beginnings, as does the office of preaching. So we've been studying about the liturgy. Well, the preaching goes back as well. But as the latter has been perverted by the spiritual tyrants, so the former has been corrupted by the hypocrites. And we do not on that account abolish the office of preaching, but we aim to restore it again to its right and proper place. So it is not our intention to do away with the service. They got rid of the parts that weren't correct. And uh, concerning the preaching, because they were misusing it, they didn't get rid of it either. They restored it again to its rightful use. Three spiritual abuses, Luther says, have crept into the service. So Reformation times, he says, first, God's word has been silenced. And only reading and singing remain in the churches. He says, well, at least that's there. But uh, pretty well sermons went away. Again, much of it was because of the works righteous idea that the divine service was the mass you offered up to God in order to get goodies. Second, and he says this is the worst abuse, to silence the word of God. Second, when God's word has been silenced, such a host of unchristian fables and lies and legends, hymns and sermons were introduced that it is horrible to see. And so he said, when there was, if once you got rid of the word of God, well, they talked about legends and they talked about fables and they talked about what foods you could eat and when you could eat them and why you could eat them and, 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 and all. Third, such divine service was performed as a work whereby God's grace and salvation might be won. As a result, faith disappeared, and everyone pressed to enter into the priesthood, convents, and monasteries to build churches and endow them. Now, in order to correct these abuses, first of all, that a Christian congregation should never gather together without the preaching of God's word and prayer, no matter how briefly, as Psalm 102 says, when the kings and people assemble to serve the Lord, they shall declare the name and praise of God. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says that when they come together, there should be prophesying, teaching, and admonition. Therefore, when God's word is not preached, one had better neither sing nor read or even come together. So Luther starts off by saying, okay, from now on our churches, if, if there's going to be a service, there will be preaching. Uh, this is, is, is the first uh, thing that, that uh, should, be, uh, should be noted 
with this. Now, uh, let's see, already just a little bit more. Uh, this was the custom among Christians at the time of the Apostles, and it should also be our custom now. That is, that there was preaching and teaching and all. Um, Luther's going to go through, uh, I don't think I'll read the whole thing, but he says we should assemble daily at 4 or 5 in the morning. Well, I don't think that's scriptural. <laughs> we should assemble daily at 4 or 5 in the morning and have God's read, either by people or people, or might be in the same manner, the lesson is still read at Matins. Uh, this should be done by one or two, and it kind of goes on, and the preacher appointed should come forward, and then he goes on to say, we should also have uh, preaching at 5 or 6 in the evening, and at this time we're going to go through uh, uh, the Old Testament reading, or we're going to go through some of the others. Uh, then it goes on to say, besides these daily services, uh, they may not be attended by everyone, but at least we ought to have them. Um, uh, besides these daily services, the whole congregation should come together on Sundays and Mass, and Vespers should be sung as has been customary. In both services, there should be preaching for the whole congregation. In the morning, the pastor ought to preach on the gospel for the day. In the evening, he ought to preach on the epistle. Uh, or the pastor may use his own judgment, whether he would preach on a, a, a certain book or or two. He goes on to talk about the uh, the various parts of the of the service. Um, let's see. Other matters will adjust themselves that need to rise, and this is the sum of the matter. Let everything be done so the word may have free course instead of the prattling and rattling that has been the rule up to now. We can spare everything except the word. Again, we profit by nothing as much as the word, for the whole scripture shows that the word should have free course among Christians. And in Luke 10, Christ himself says, one thing is needful, that is, that Mary sit at the feet of Christ and hear his word daily. This is the best part, to choose, and it should not be taken away forever. It is an eternal word. Everything else must pass away, no matter how much care and trouble it may give Martha. God help us achieve this. Amen. So Luther speaks about returning this preaching and teaching uh, to, to the church. I want to look at those Bible passages in just uh, a little bit. Uh, but when I talk about the sermon, um, if you take a look in your hymnal to page 17, we just finished up the creed last time and, and talked about those three. Uh, in between uh, 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 the creed, it says, Then shall be sung the office hymn appointed for the day. And, and I, I've already taken a look at that at the very beginning of our study when we were just starting to go through the office hymns. The choir's been learning them and singing them. And, and I explained about uh, those. So I, I'm not doing an, uh, that section over again. But you have the creed, you're going to sing the hymn. And then it says, at the conclusion of the office hymn, 
It says the congregation shall rise. They should all stand up when the hymn's over. It says the pastor may pray the epistle or gospel collect from the pulpit. So one of those two particular prayers. Uh, The congregation shall then be seated and then shall follow the sermon. And it says, when the sermon is concluded, the congregation shall rise, and the pastor shall say, the peace of God which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when I talk about the sermon as it's included in the service, um, it actually includes a little bit more you would say from the congregation standing to maybe some praying, you know, the May in here, um, then there's the sermon, and when it's done, there's this thing called the votum. Um, if you look at your one-page uh, sheet that I have for you at the top of the back of it, I give a little bit of the order of the sermon. You kind of go, there was an order for the sermon? What about this? Um, Let me just kind of walk through it just real quick, and then I'm going to go back. We'll we'll talk about some of it. Uh, There is, first of all, the pastor's kind of personal prayer or devotion as he is uh, going to the pulpit. The reading of the sermon text. and if we're talking about what text that is, there is preaching and, and which text that is. Uh, we might take a look at the Deutsche Messe, although we've already seen uh, that Luther speaks about what is quite common. Uh, and what is quite common is the main service on Sunday morning, you preach on the gospel. Either uh, that evening you preach on the epistle, or if there's an early morning service, you preach on the epistle. So there's gospel and, and the epistle. Um, a standing up, as it mentions in the hymnal, there may be, in this section 3 and 6, moved back and forth and around and uh, as the Reformation was trying to figure out in restoring the sermon. There might be an exhortation to prayer for a fruitful encounter with the word, uh, telling the people, let's pray, and I want you to listen to the word, that it might benefit you. There was then a prayer, sometimes that was concluded with the Our Father, and maybe a hymn. Oh. There often is what's called, number four, an apostolic greeting before the sermon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are some that have begun in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's often a beginning. The sermon itself would follow this. After it is done, uh, there would be a prayer that would be based upon it. The Epistle and Gospel College that was mentioned in the hymnal. Uh, we've not seen those before. I'll have to talk about uh, those. Once again, sometimes they had an exhortation, a collect, our father, and him here after the sermon, but they put it together with it. And finally, there was a, uh, a votum, uh, a, a wish, a desire, a prayer, uh, just like you have a votive candle or something like that, uh, 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 
a blessing that came after the sermon, as you had an uh, apostolic reading, now a blessing, the peace of God uh, that, that followed after it. Um, this is probably, uh, of what I regularly do, um, I'll have a, a, a prayer, uh, I'll have an apostolic reading, the sermon, uh, and then I'll have uh, the blessing or the votum uh, that comes that comes after it. Let's take a look at some of those and 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 see. Once again, I'm pretty sure that you kind of go, well, I don't think I remember, you know, those. And and you're right. I I we don't use that uh, full of a uh, as as regards the the sermon itself. Um. What about the pastor's devotion? Uh, the book Strodok goes and says, The quiet of the sacristy is the place for a moment's devotion before entering the pulpit. In this seclusion, one can, referring to the pastor, one can reach for that grace which is much needed for the teaching to be imparted. Here, too, is the best place for devotions. Not only altar steps are bowed over the pulpit desk, these latter places mean ostentation. Everyone, you're, it's a show. It's also a hurry in devotions that too often look like mere pious gestures can hardly be classified as good examples. Quiet and aloneness are what are needed, and the entire period of the singing of the hymn means a far richer opportunity for uh, for the seeker, for the pastor who is seeking help. He ought to leave the sacristy during the last stanza of the hymn and enter the pulpit immediately. If the pastor must, uh, if the minister must occupy the stall, the place where he's sitting, you know, with the little prayer desk in front, uh, during the hymn, well, just let him sit there quietly. Pastor, don't slouch. <laughs> don't cross the legs. Don't fidget about and leap over the manuscript or fish for a watch or glasses or handkerchief. And if the minister doesn't want to sing and pray, what excuse has he not to? But, you know, then if he doesn't want just let him sit there quietly at least with his hands folded and his eyes closed and listen to the song of praise or prayer. One doubts whether much meditating or praying can be done with the singing of his congregation ringing in his ears. I'm not done. There's a little more. That's the best part. Concerning the sermon itself, what shall it be? What is it to be? Well, if one follows the Lord's command and apostolic precedent, it is to make disciples, to declare the good and gracious will of God, to call to repentance and announce divine grace, to work, to constrain, to teach the observance of all things he has commanded. Surely this is explicit, the teaching of the word. The Church of the Reformation has always been a preaching church, the Church of the Pure Gospel. But it is well to remember that preaching is not a homiletical invention or gymnastics, <laughs> but a most sacred opportunity for the pastoral care of souls, as well as the evangelist's voice of declaration and invitation. Here are the chords of full harmony, so perfectly balanced. And this is where he's going to talk about what Pastor Rin has always said. Well, 
if we've got a theme of the service, and we've got a gospel that sets the theme, we've got a prayer that does it, and the hymn goes with it, why wouldn't the pastor preach on that hymn so that it resounds together like a full chord of harmony? Here the chords of full harmony so perfectly balanced in the liturgy must reach the soul of the preacher. The teaching must be in this harmony. There's an old rule in more than a few of the old Kirkenordnungs that the sermon must be on the gospel for the day. That or uh, that or some closely related text or topic would be an excellent rule to follow, for after all, the gospel remains eternally new. The so-called popular preaching the topics of the day, dissertation on political questions and civic movements, pious, platitudinous essays, and the flaunting of the individuality of the average popular preacher. What place have these in the divine literature and in the face of the commission to preach Christ crucified and him alone? He goes on to say what I've told you a couple times. The sermon is not the highest point of the liturgy. It is the teaching, that is, the application of the word, which has been read or announced. It is none other than its practical application. And then he speaks about the votum. This apostolic blessing is sometimes spoken of as the votum. May the peace of God which passes understanding. It's proper to raise the hand in a gesture of blessing as it is pronounced, immediately after it has been said, the minister should leave the pulpit, go to face the altar during the singing of the offertory sentences. Um, the first part, um, and and I, I I read it to you. Um, where what he is suggesting, and 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 I don't do, and I'm I'm not quite sure that. I just don't think this is the way to do it. Um, but what, what he's saying is, is that when you get to the hymn before the sermon, Pastor, walk into the sacristy away from everyone else, close the door, and there you can pray and get ready to preach. Um, and he says, you know, you can't do it with everybody singing around. And that uh, uh, when you go up and kneel at the uh, at the communion rail to say your prayer before going into the pulpit, um, that's just a show for everybody to see. Well, well everyone knows what you're doing if you're doing that. If you leave, everybody's going to be like, "What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing?" Right. Um, now, now, granted, you all—I mean, you ought to know. But yeah, I am saying a prayer. Um, now, if I'm simply doing that and uh, in and 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 not saying a prayer, uh, yeah, that's hypocritical. And yes, that show. And yes, that all. But um, but but you know. And so finally, when he gets down to you know, well, pastor, you know, if 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 you're so worried about the sermon that you're fidgeting and trying to get everything ready in the last four minutes while the hymn's going. Stop it, you know. Um, uh, we all know the old uh, uh, joke. What's the sermon hymn for? Writing the sermon down. Oh. Writing the sermon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, exactly. Just a little comment about the sermon. That's one of the things 
in our own congregation. The sermon just did not connect with anything. And it just threw everything off. Mm -hmm. It's like there was no fulfillment. It's like what you left feeling like it was incomplete. And and that's what I was what I was trying to explain at the beginning was, you know, it's almost as if it's an advertisement stuck in the middle of the regular, you know, this is your regular show that we're going through the regular programming. And then comes this advertisement that I'm not quite sure fits. It doesn't fit with what went before and what goes afterwards. And it's directing our attention somewhere else. And, and it's of a different quality and a different. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a problem. Um, I, I, even if it's even if it's good, you kind of go, well, how does this kind of work, Eric? And then I'll get. I was thinking about why you do it during the last, the last stanza of the hymn. I guess it does flow better. But then I was thinking about when we're getting ready for communion, we have three, four minutes of silence, getting ready for that. Well, I guess if it, if it's not for show, which we've already determined it's not. <laughs> why not have it afterwards? Yeah, could what could I wait till the hymn's completely done and go, okay, you guys are gonna wait for a while while I pray. Um, that's fine. I mean we can we can kind of do it anyway. It has been and even in some of the books it actually says during the last stanza, go to the pulp <laughs> I mean it mm-hmm. tells the pastor that that kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, more than I'm just thinking the the hymn that we sing is a prayer, mm-hmm. and it is connected to what's coming up. So how that seems like that could could fulfill that. Yep. <coughs> well, the other excuse me. <laughs> Did I interrupt you? No. Not yet. The, Go ahead. The other thing <laughs> you and I were both taught you need to preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Oh. Oh. Um, Oh. What does a newspaper have to do with anything? You all know more about the news than you need to know. <laughs> There's a uh, lovely piece by Cronach, I think, one of the guys that did a whole bunch of the Luther stuff and was a contemporary, of Luther preaching a sermon. He's in the pulpit. The people are facing him on the other side, and Christ crucified is between them, and he's pointing to them, and the people are looking at him. And those are up in a bunch of the churches in Germany. Where it's very clear, this is what your job is, in case the pastor forgets. I was just going to point out that your organist appreciates you getting up during the last stanza and walking to the pulpit. Because sometimes, I don't know what hymn we're on. Because if the verses are way over here, I'm over here. Or if the verses are printed on the back side of the page for some reason, I don't know. I don't even know. Are we still going? Sometimes that was the clue at about stanza three or four of a 12 stanza hymn to, uh, oh, the guy's in the pulpit, cut it off. That's the last one. You know. We don't do that. <laughs> I, I, I will say, you know, and again, all, all of the things that we're doing is for good order. I mean, this is not, you know, divine has to be whatever. You, you look at this and you go, does the pastor need to prepare? Absolutely. Does he need to pray? Uh, uh, and, and ask God to use him that the Holy Spirit might work through. absolutely I also hope that he's doing that during the week you know or before you get here on Sunday morning you know there's there's plenty of time it's quite it's quiet 
you know, none of you show up here too early. Um, and I can, I, we, we can take care of those things. So, yes, um, I do think, though, also this kind of lack of preparation would lead this fidgeting and all of the stuff that kind of goes with it, which is, is not really appropriate. It, it keeps the focus on Christ. It does. It does. Um, and, and, and personally, I, I, you know, I, I don't have a five-minute prayer to, to do. It, it's a pretty short prayer. But I'm I'm walking in and I'm, you know uh, this is not my uh, uh, I've done my work um, at this point I ask that the Holy Spirit does His work and I can get out of the way. Um. When the, when Pastor Murray's arms was our uh, pastor at Honda, uh, he was there for nine years. I always noticed that it seems like about the last stanza of the hymn, his wife would close her hymn book. And she would bow her head in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I always assumed that she was praying for him, for his son. And you know, and I think that's something that, and that will hit me sometimes when I'm singing that last hymn. I'm thinking, you know, I should be saying a prayer for the pastor before he gets up there. <laughs> you know, so I think it comes back on us as much as it does the pastor to be praying that, you know, that he will be led. Yeah, but you should be doing that all week. <laughs> <laughs> prayer every day. Especially some of you more. Yeah, than that's right. <laughs> <laughs> because you have a tendency to forget people's names. That's right. Well, I have that's enough to ask you what it is. <laughs> all right, you've got to tell them that story. Yes. He's been, he has been, I have to say, you know, this is a pastor appreciation month. <laughs> pastor Haroon has been my pastor for 34 years. Wow. He, it's first, okay. he first came to our church in 1989. So he and I can, you know, we joke each other, but I very much respect this man. And there was one point at which he looked over to you and couldn't remember your name and yes. said, "Yes, this was during a prayer. I had asked him during, you know, during the prayers before church. I had said to him, my my cousin had just had a major stroke, and I said, would you say a prayer for Rick during the prayers? So he was up there. He was going, and I he was going through the prayers, and he got to the part where he started to say Shirley's cousin." And he paused, and I thought, he has forgotten my name. <laughs> and sure enough, he turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, now, what is your name again? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he went on. That's all you can do sometimes. There's a four-volume set called The Sermon and the Propers uh, by a man named Fred Lindemann. As you can see, he's putting the sermon into uh, the liturgy uh, as we have it and asks the question, as you can see right here, is the sermon a part of the liturgy? Many regard the sermon as a thing set apart, independent of, unrelated to, the forms of worship that precede and follow it. A liturgical church can assume no other position than that liturgical preaching is a part of the liturgy. A sermon that enlarges upon and applies the chief thought presented by the propers, including the epistle and the gospel, is not independent of the liturgy. It belongs not to the preacher, but to the people as part of their worship. 
Agnus Dunn spoke well when he said, a sermon is not primarily a man telling us what he thinks about the state of the world, or what he thinks of us, or our duties in life, and it is not even primarily telling us what he thinks about God, or Christ, or charity, or prayer. A sermon is a man's speaking to prepare the way of God's speaking. Like the prayer of the church, the sermon must be corporate. The faithful must receive it and make it their own. It is an integral part of the liturgy. Uh, and so he's, he's putting it together with that. Uh, to say that, and, and just to give a, a little more historical background on this, um, as they were storing the sermon, uh, Luther wrote some things. He was hesitant to write a order of service, uh, but sometimes he gave directions uh, concerning it. In fact, in one of the Matins ones, he said, uh, well, rather than put the sermon after the, pre- after the readings in the order of Matins, he thought that might actually disturb the order of the service. He said, let's put it at the beginning. He kind of went, huh. Uh, I mean, that's how kind of unusual preaching was that, that he thought, well, maybe we ought to do it before so that we're ready for everything that follows after. Um, thankfully, that wasn't the way that it kind of ended up um, going back to it. But um, Luther, in order to do this, uh, went up into the pulpit. The people stood up when it was time for the word of God to be preached. The pastor, in preaching on the text, this gospel reading was, has pretty well been the uh, uh, understood as that's the one you preach on. In order to teach, and I can go back through uh, some of these, uh, where again and again, the reason that they are doing some of these things with the sermon was because... They wanted the people to be taught. They wanted them to learn and understand. And so, anytime it talks about preaching a sermon, there is always this, uh, where Luther or some of the others goes, the first thing you do is you exhort the people to stick around and listen to the sermon. (laughs) Which gives you the clue that they used to get up and get out of there. Luther actually, you know, the, oh, the reading's done, you know, we're, we're leaving. And Luther at one point says, based on the preaching they got, I can't blame them. <laughs> but he says, you exhort, and, and it goes through like two paragraphs of exhorting the people, you know, God had his word and you need to be listening to the word and the word points out your sins and you need to be trusting in the gospel and, you know, this exhortation. Then there was a prayer in which that people are exhorted, and it was a couple paragraphs long of praying that the people would listen to the sermon and it would have blessings upon them and it would strengthen their faith. Then there was a prayer. There might be a hymn that would go with it, and then the sermon, you know, comes. I mean, and and this is pretty common. This. Epistle and I'm doing time this epistle and gospel colleagues um, uh, at the time of Luther 
they were translating some of the collects that were used, like we have, for the day of the, of the year. There were a couple of people, um, Veit, uh, Dietrich, and Johannes Mathesius, um, wrote some collects that were particular for the epistle reading for the Sunday and the gospel reading for the Sunday. They're not included in your books, but they were included in the pastor's book that went with the Lutheran hymnal. Um, I don't know when we get to pass the supplement and things of that sort, uh, but they were included in a uh, temporary one in which there's an epistle and a gospel colic. And you go, well, how are those supposed to be used? Well, they're supposed to be used uh, either before, after, or before and after, and they were all used that way for a hundred years and, and things of that sort. Um, you know, do they have to? I mean, no. But um, what were they? They were designed to direct our attention to. If I'm going to preach on this, this summarizes it. They had the children memorize these collects so that they would understand the theme. That went with the day. But coming back up to here, when Luther got up into the pulpit, and it was time, he would preach on the gospel, most likely than not. Now, we've got times when he doesn't. Like every preacher, there are times when you go, nope, this requires this. But most of the time he did. What did he do? He got up into the pulpit, and he said, the text for the sermon, you know, and he would read the gospel reading again. When I get up, I go, well, the reading is, and I usually read a sentence. He would get up, and he would read the entire gospel reading again, and then the sermon would come. So guess what? If you're going to be reading the gospel, you stand up. That's what you do. And that was just the way it was. Um, early Lutheranism, Walther, you know, all, all, that's the way you did it. When it came time to the sermon, the entire congregation stand up. There was the reading of, and, and in America, I'm not quite sure that they did the entire reading of the gospel again. But the custom of standing up for it was there. And then, you, once the pastor said amen and you knew the sermon was over, you stood up again so that he could pronounce the blessing of the peace of God upon you. Um, there were exhortations. It, it directs the pastor in some of these books once again. Now you exhort the people not to leave. Because then they would go, oh, it's time for communion. And, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not quite ready for communion, and it may be that only the priest receives, and it may be, well, ah, well, it's a lot, you know, we're out of here. And they would leave. and so there's another exhortation that goes with it. And so you can kind of see, um, historically, how they were not only restoring the sermon, but they wanted to restore the people's attention to the sermon, that they would see the importance of it, um, and it was almost as if it was a little service all to itself. Um, if you're going to prepare for the sermon, well, you prepare by a college and the Lord's Prayer and a little hymn, um, and, and, and before and after, so you can kind of see it um, fitting together uh, with it. Um, questions about kind of the, the history that goes with that? So a lot of it's 
kind of compensating for the teaching that this is a work coming to church. Like, I've met my obligation listening to the words, so now I can leave, I don't have to hear the sermon. That's kind of... That was I've the idea. My fulfillment. That was the idea. Yeah. And, and, and they, they explicitly would say, you know, you've met your Sunday obligation... Yeah. If you got to the gospel reading, yeah. there normally wasn't ser- sermon, and everything after that is the sacrifice the priest does. We're just watching, eh, you know, not that big. But yeah, that's that's exactly it. Uh, and so you can see that this goes 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 back into it. Um, all right. So uh, the reading of the sermon text again, usually kind of the gospel. This. Uh, exhortation, maybe a collect, maybe the, the prayer for it. Um, this apostolic greeting, uh, and then this apostolic blessing that goes before it and after. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God which passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It kind of tells you what every sermon is about. Regardless of what it's about, it tells you what it's there for. Okay. Kind of nice. Okay. What else do you think? It's a statement of fact. Yes? It's what you have. It's what God has given us. Can we hear that too often? No. (laughs) As I've mentioned before, the pastor's sermon, it's his. He wrote it. He put it together. Um, it's not just his. The apostolic kind of idea that this is someone who falls into the line of the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, uh, and now, Pastor, you're in that. You know, you're in that line of people who are serving us. Uh, you also are in that pastoral office. Granted, some you know apostles have a little more range than a, than a pastor himself as one congregation. But uh, that that this is I want to bring to you, as Rachel said, the grace and peace from God. This is this is my job uh, to continue to do that. And now that you have had grace and peace, that peace is going to Guard your hearts and minds. He's going to take care of, of you. Wednesday night, I just want to say, we, when we go to catechesis, that prepares us for the sermon Sunday morning. It's wonderful. I love Wednesday nights. <laughs> good, good point. Yeah. And good connection. In other words, it, I may not have all of this on a Sunday morning, but we definitely have that preparation for Sunday on a Wednesday or in bulletin paragraphs or in teaching. and I mean, you, you, we're always drawing attention to uh, that theme of the sermon and what it is presenting. All right, let's go back and take a look on that first page. Uh, there are Bible passages that were quoted on your uh blue sheet that has the sermon. In fact, it's probably got more passages than any of them. Uh, Let's take a look. So far, we've kind of given a uh, historical look at 
uh, the Reformation and then what, what it brought about. We've also kind of put together a liturgical order of things and how they were, how they were put into practice uh, in the liturgy itself. Uh, let's take a look a little bit more at the, uh, the content, and maybe that's what we'll see in connection with these scriptures. So let's walk through some of those Bible passages. We've got a little bit of time. Isaiah 61, verse 1. You might remember this is the passage that is handed to Jesus when he is in the temple and he, or when he is in the synagogue to preach. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I, I, I just read that as boneheaded instead of brokenhearted. <laughs> and that would be true, too, probably. Yeah. Um, oh. So, Isaiah, what, what do we learn? He's preaching the word of God, and he says, this is where the Holy Spirit is working. We talked about that Wednesday night. Uh, with the connection with the third article of the creed. Uh, the Lord has anointed me to what? To preach. What's the content of that preaching? Good tidings. Primarily good tidings. Good news, or we call it gospel. Uh, for the brokenhearted, healing. For the captives, liberty. For those in prison, opening up. Uh, there is, yes, of course there's preaching of law, but the preaching of law is always with the intent of to get to the gospel, and this is the content, the <laughs> primary content of the preaching. Ezekiel 2, the prophet Ezekiel, says that the Lord said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me, and he said to me, Son of man, so... The prophet gets the spirit, and he is supposed to do something. Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. And I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. So Ezekiel's told, All right, you're going to go, I'm going to send you to them. They're not going to like it. <laughs> they're, they're not going to listen, but you're going to go. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. So, I'm sending you, they're not going to like it, don't fear. Just go. You shall speak, and the content of the preaching is God's words. It's not your words, Ezekiel. You can't, you're sent to speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they're rebellious. The point of the preaching, Pastor Ezekiel, is to preach God's word. And the point is, uh, uh, you don't want to do uh, a survey afterwards. Did you like what the pastor said this time? How about you? Did you like it? You know, and then, oh, well, if everybody kind of likes this, then we'll, you know, uh, uh, we can increase the, uh, no, whether they hear or whether they don't, doesn't really matter. 
You are to preach the word of God. Jonah gets sent. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. What was the message that Jonah is sent to preach? Repentance. Repentance. Jonah doesn't want to go to preach repentance. Um, he goes the other way. He gets on a ship. You might remember the waves have come, the whale swallows him, he's spit up on shore. Uh, finally, having been repentant in the belly of the fish, he, uh, having been spit up on shore, he says, okay, I'll go to Nineveh and preach repentance like you said. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches repentance. The people repent of their sins and God says... I'm not going to do the punishment, the destruction that I threatened against them. Because they acknowledged me and, and confessed their sins and trusted in me. And so what does Jonah do? He pouts and gets mad. And you go, what? You know, you preach repentance and, and, and they repented and now it's not. And, and Jonah says to God, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I didn't want to preach to them. Um, which lets us know even the pastor's heart and whatever is of unimportance uh, preaching the word to them. Uh, but uh, he goes and, uh, yeah, uh, I, you're going to preach the message I tell you. Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, once again, we can talk about gospel, which includes law. We can talk about repentance, the law, which includes the gospel with it as well. That is, that they would repent and then uh, uh, welcome the heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven, or Jesus' gospel message. Mark 16, 15, he said to his apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're talking about the content of the preaching. And when that preaching goes out concerning the preacher himself, Luke 10, 16, he who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The pastor is the representative of God. He is coming when they reject the prophets, when they reject the apostles, when they reject the pastor's preaching. If they're preaching God's word, then they're actually rejecting Jesus and the Father himself. Uh, it is their words that they are to be bringing. Acts 10, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, Jesus, it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Uh, the primary content as we preach law and gospel is concerning the Christ, Jesus himself. Romans 10 puts this preaching together with belief and faith and says, if you don't, this is the way God set up. This is the means that he provided for us. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of priests peace who bring glad tidings of good things. So, uh, there is the message that comes from the messenger, so that they hear, so that faith is created, and then they profess it, call upon the name of the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 1, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It says that the message, uh, the preaching, the content of the message, is considered to be foolishness to the world. But it is that foolishness of sin and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ that saves the believers, that trust in the foolishness of the cross, as Paul says in, in other places. 1 Corinthians 9, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be so done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So he says, that's my job, I have to preach the gospel. But... Paul, at least, did not take a salary. He did not get paid. He supported himself. Um, and so he says, I, I, those who preach the gospel, yep, they ought to live from it. But uh, he did not. He himself, as an example to, the, to those around. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. Faith and preaching. Ephesians 4.29, let no, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, as you preach, do what is for edification, is for building up, build them up in the faith. Um, that gives grace. 1 Corinthians 1.28, him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We preach Christ and Him crucified. 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not despise prophecies. It's probably where Luther got that. Uh, do not despise preaching and His word from the Catechism. Uh, test all things. Hold fast what is good. Uh, what is preached, we want to check it out with the word of God. Test it. And finally, Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. That's a little bit of an overview, a little bit of a, a, a look at the content itself. Um, I want to delve into that just a bit more uh, next time in talking about, all right, so what is this content and, and, and how does the pastor, you know, what, what is his goal, what, what kind of preaching? There's a lot of different uh, preaching. There is exhortation. There is uh, conversion preaching. There is instruction uh, teaching. Uh, there can be others uh, as well. Um, we talk about him taking a text, in particular the gospel. Well, how, what's his goal? What, what's he trying to? What's he trying to do? So we'll we'll be going back and taking a look 
a little bit at that next time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just as you direct our attention to your Savior through the words of our liturgy as well as our hymns and colics uh, and chanting, we ask also that you would direct our attention to your Son and his forgiveness uh, through the preaching of the sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.